Look alive, look alive, snap two. It's time for the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast. <laughs> Are we recording? Yes. <laughs> This is the podcast for the week of June 11, 2012. This is episode 152. I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, for the healthcare marketing firm that puts on the podcast. With me today are... Jackie Ritaco, account manager with Interval. And Adam Meyer, creative director with Interval. 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 <laughs> I'm going to start calling us Interval. Intervals, mm-hmm. or think interval, as some people refer yeah, to people it. call us think interval. That's we can't da- blame them. No, mm-hmm. that's the danger of having to use a URL that. Well, when you're forced to use a URL that has a different. Yeah, I wonder if we should go back and check. It. Maybe oh, we shouldn't say this out loud. We'll do it before it's recorded. <laughs> see if, or posted. See if interval is available now. Just keep an eye on it. You never know. Yeah. I'd be I, mean, I suppose we could always use a different uh, suffix too, but that's uh, or a different extension extension. Or a different oh, domain. XXX? Yeah, XXX. I think you would literally, I think you have to, well, maybe not. Coming to get you. Yeah, here comes the popo. I think the, um, I think you have to be porn related to have XXX. I could be wrong with that. Is that right? How do they check? No, we could put some Did new pictures up. Did you see the statistic yesterday in the news? That there are a trillion, trillion, trillion addresses on the internet. Did you just make that up? I don't know. No, that's a what tri- it said. It used the word trillion three times. I'm not kidding. Three trillion? It was like a hundred trillion, trillion, trillion addresses. Wow. And at first I'm like, that's, there's no way. And then you start thinking about China and India. and Yeah, but he would have to be including like all sorts of weird, like he, he or she, whoever. Oh. I, assumed, I thought you said he. Um, I don't know. It depends on how they're defining a U, uh, like a URL or the base domain name. or I, mean, what, I don't know. Because that number to me seems way like there's no possible way. Well, that's what it said. I was just a headline, and you know, of course, I didn't read the article, so I'm more dangerous than helpful. <laughs> I wish I had that much money. A trillion, trillion. No, you trillion. don't. <laughs> there's there's a point where there's having that much money is probably more of a headache than you would ever want. Yes, statistics oh, well, show that people that, that point, happiness but... is tied to sixty thousand dollars, and anything over that, as far as income, has no correlation to increased happiness. You can do more, so you but can it doesn't BS. make you happier. <laughs> no, seriously, it's no, what it's, it says. You just get you get more money, but you get bigger problems. Same, right. it is more That's money, more problems. Well, the more uh, it's all relative. I mean, because no matter how much you, I mean, once you get the point of that article or that story was once you hit a certain point, you you make enough to to live. Your expenses, your right. your expenses like your your mortgage, or your rent, or your car payment, your insurance. This is plenty to cover that and still have some left over to live comfortably. Um, so after once you've reached that point, you know that stress is gone in your mm-hmm. life. So now it's all about. Then the it's all about yeah, and well, now, well now it's all about <laughs> when it comes to money. If you want more, you know, no matter how much more you get, you're yeah. probably always trying to get to that next level. Right. The whole keeping up with the Joneses mentality. So it's like this is the point in which now you're yeah. you don't have that stress, the financial stress of how am I going to get by. Now it's all about. Well, I mean, it, make, it makes sense. I'm just yeah. kind of joking with you guys. No, I know, and I think that's. I think a lot of people think. Jackie that. thinks like, in terms of how many pairs money. of glasses can I buy? What's mm-hmm. that? Jackie is well. We make no. We make no secret of the show that Jackie is our style. Our style guru. Well, in fact, she probably should call her. That should be her title. At the what does that have to do with 
making well we, jack and i were joking the other day that she doesn't think in terms of dollars when it comes to currency she thinks in terms of how many pairs of glasses can i get with this purchase yeah i do have an eyeglass addiction slightly do speaking you? of i kind of need to order a new pair i think it's been like a Jeez. year well i was telling her to, to check out warby parker to get the some oh, trial yeah. pairs to try on and see what she likes to see if there's any she likes on that note it's kind of funny that chris and i both tried warby parker in totally isolated <laughs> incidents. Incidents. Although um, we talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, on the podcast several episodes ago, and uh, we were in the airport the other day going to a, a client meeting and looking at each other because we both had our glasses. <laughs> I always wear mine, but Chris rarely wears his out. And we're, and I'm like, those look you know a lot like the ones I got. That's and sure funny. enough, we had both ordered the exact same pair of glasses oh, yeah. from Warby Parker. Same color. And there are like millions of pairs on there, I'm Mi- sure. Well, yeah. Trillions and trillions of pairs. There's trillions and trillions. Hundreds of trillions. All right. So, some things to tell you about before we get into some meaty topics. Um, we sent out our, well, I don't know, it's bi monthly e newsletter. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, it comes out every other month. So, if you don't receive that, you should. You can go to our website and register to receive it. Um, but in it, we focus on a few things. We have a new assessment at thinkinterval.com uh, that's basically there for those folks that have read the book, Joe Public Doesn't Care About Your Hospital, or know what the book is about, which is five different types of changes that we say hospitals and health systems need to make to transform their marketing and succeed moving forward. The assessment is just kind of a quick true or false quiz that will help you prioritize where you need to start with that change. Because a lot mm-hmm. of the feedback I get when I'm out, uh, people seem to love the book, but there's just a lot there. And there's a lot of things that if you, know, if you try to tackle all those changes, you would, you would keel over. So it's kind of where do I start? And obviously, uh, there's a lot of answers to that, but it depends on where you're at. Mm-hmm. And so the quiz should help you figure out uh, maybe where you're feeling the most pain in any given change. Uh, to help you prioritize that. So that's mm-hmm. now available. Uh, I posted a new blog post on my site, chrisbevelo.com. Uh, they just kind of recap some of the things I've been hearing out on the road about what's hot and what's not. And if you listen to this podcast, you probably have heard most of it, but it's mm-hmm. encapsulated a little better. On the road again. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Which starts next week again. Preaching <laughs> Joe Public to my colleagues and my friends. <laughs> wow, that's really good. <laughs> You totally had planned for that. I, I uh, and then we have a new weekly probe <laughs> article, which um, is about a new Photoshop filter that's been released that will help all you marketers crop and blend individual physician photos into those group shots you crave. Because we all know doctors many times refuse to take pictures together, even though they want their picture everywhere. They won't take it with their colleague because he's a D-bag or... <laughs> She's a competitor, or he beat me at golf, or whatever it is. We know there's limitless reasons. So apparently, a, a company has released a Photoshop filter to help you do that better. So you can check that out. It's kind of how I feel about taking pictures with you guys. Exactly. <laughs> Same deal. Rude. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> All right. So we've got some serious healthcare marketing topics today. Yeah. The first one, uh, Jackie, I think you posted this. I did. You want to give us a little little heads up? It's about pricing. A nice picture, by the way. We'll post an article of this, but it's got a yeah. picture of like Ben Franklin, so it must be a $5 bill. And it's, it, the whole bill is surrounded by pills except for his face. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. It is kind of. I, I really didn't even notice the picture. But yeah, it is kind of creepy. 
But anyways, this article is from NPR, I believe, and it's titled, More Americans Are Checking Prices Before Getting Health Care. And this is from May 31st, so not too long ago. And essentially, they conducted an NPR Thomson Reuters health poll where they asked people across the country whether they size up prices for health care before making decisions. They put the same questions to more than 3,000 people back in September 2010, so just about two years just ago. Just about, yeah. And um, some of the results were about 81% of the households... Oh, I'm already like getting my stats confused here. <laughs> There's still an <laughs> interesting there stat. Goes. Do you want to start with that stat? That's still interesting. Yeah, well, here we go. So it says, right off the bat, we wanted to find out the proportion of households that included someone who had received health care services in the past year. About 81% of the households we asked in April had virtually the same as the 80% we found in 2010. So I think, first of all, that's interesting Mm -hmm. because everything we've read, everything we've kind of postulated um, says that that for the first time in anybody's memory, healthcare has become elastic, meaning typically you think that it's it's recession-proof, economically speaking, Mm -hmm. because if people get sick, they got to go. But this last one was so devastating that so many people lost insurance, people lost their jobs, they had to pay more out of pocket. And so everything we've been reading says people are stretching their healthcare encounters. Uh, and a lot of the feedback we get from providers is that their, you know, their business is flat. And that's uh, a lot of people think that's the reason why is because right. folks just, you know, they're passing on elective procedures they are going longer between prescriptions they are skipping labs Mm -hmm. uh, all those kind of things this is saying now this is according to patients themselves what they say uh but basically the same number of people in the heart of the deepest part of the reception well yeah pretty much september 2010 yeah was was well two years after we fell off a cliff right because that happened in september exactly 2008 so it wasn't the depths but we were still, you know, we're still crawling out of this biatch. Um, so it's interesting to me. It's, it's the same. Now, what would be more interesting is if they, if they looked at that in like 2007. Mm-hmm. Would that be like a 90% or something? Because you could argue that we really are in the same place we were in September 2010. It's, re- it's not that bad, but mentally, as a, as a culture and, e- and an economy, we may think we are. So right. anyway. Onward to the next stat. Well, so then among recent healthcare consumers, 16% said they'd look for prices beforehand compared with 11% who'd answered that way in a previous poll. Now let's have some fun with stats. Yay, stat time. A new segment. A new segment from the stats. If you really wanted to blow this stat out of the water and make it seem like people are just overwhelmingly moving toward checking pricing, you would say there was a 50% increase in the number of people, <laughs> right? Because yep. you went from 11 to 16. Right. Half of 11 is five and a half. You add that to 11, that's 16 and a half. Or is that a 150% so, increase? No, it's a 50%. 150 would have been, it would have gone from 11 to 26 or seven. 100% would double. Right. Right. Mm. So, but still you would say, Wow. 50% more people than before. But they're not saying that. They're saying it's, you know, appropriately. It went from 11 to 16%, um, which is the margin of error on this 
poll was one and a half percent. So that's mm-hmm. statistically significant. But about what I think we'd expect. Right. Right. I mean, it's still a, a small minority. Mm-hmm. I guess you would hope that it yeah, would be it really greater. Is. But I think it would be. So, so that's interesting that it's low. It's still, you know, the way I talk about this, this to me is like one of the driving forces of consumerism in healthcare is the empowered consumer and, and how they change their behavior and looking at prices is a huge mm-hmm. part of that. And the way I've always described this is um, I use the story of back when Hurricane Katrina hit and how devastating it was. And if you remember, a hurricane came right after it. You guys remember the name of it? No. Rita came right oh, after Katrina and it was, but right. it was aimed not at New Orleans. It was aimed at Houston Corpus Christi, but it was like, you know, Oh my gosh, here comes another one. And I remember Anderson Cooper on CNN. He was at a Corpus Christi pier and it was like dusk. Exactly. Like the way Adam's looking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can't watch him because of that look on his face. Ridiculous. Like he looks mad all the time. Yes. It's and like, he's like, down, he's got like his, his khakis rolled up and he's like on the stairs and he's got like one foot in the water and one foot out. <laughs> And the water's lapping up, and, and he's like, you know, you can see in the distance this hurricane coming. And, and it's like, you know, this could have been just a windy day. It didn't, it didn't look like any kind of hurricane. Right. So to me, consumerism is like a big fat hurricane coming in the Gulf. You see this giant storm coming, right? right? And if it hits, and if it hits dead on, and it's a Category 5, it could turn everything upside down. Mm-hmm. But it could also peter out over the Gulf. It could turn into like a <laughs> tropical storm, Rita. Uh, you just some heavy rains. It could hit north. It could hit south. That's kind of what consumers, consumerism has been. Mm-hmm. And it's a really slow-moving hurricane. Because <laughs> I've been telling this story since Katrina, which was when? 2009? Oh, gosh. I don't remember. Was I think it, it was 2009. Okay, Heck of a job, Brownie. A more years. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's, it's slow. Mm-hmm. And so this is another example of, of how that? slow this is, this is impacting people. Because we're talking about decades of how people have been using healthcare and they're not used to shopping for it. Mm-hmm. When was the advent of health insurance? What year was that? 40s, health insurance 50s? came into prominence in the forties okay. as a, because there were, there were wage controls because of the war. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't offer people, there was caps, government imposed caps on what you could pay people. So employer sponsored health insurance became a way to attract people it was another perk. So literally probably since then okay. when it took off. Interesting. Yeah. Do you want a few more little stats? Or sure. Mean- Give us a couple more. All right. Well, just speaking to where they actually turn for this price information, the most common source was the doctor's office. And then the second most popular source was insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Most commonly, people got the information in person at about 53%, which is up a bit. That's astounding. Don't that you they're think? going that they're seeking this in person? Well, as in- to me that means that you're in the doctor's office and you're just yeah. asking how much is this going to cost. Which is a little different than seeking out health costs, don't you think? I don't know. I guess I mean Are that's you- how I would have I have done it in the past, but over the phone. If you were shopping, yeah, if you were shopping for prices, would you walk into different places and go <laughs> how much does this cost? Did it say what? I mean, I missed. What did it say what? What kind of procedures does this encompass? Everything from surgery down to checking for a cold, like comparing Walmart to your. Clinic? Doesn't really say. At least not in this article. It doesn't say. I mean, I can see that. I mean, see what? 
walking into Walmart and finding how much it's going to cost to go to the clinic, you know, that's in the store or whatever, whatever store and comparing that to, so I mean, if that's what they're talking about, yeah, I guess I can understand. Would but you going though, clinic I to mean, clinic? How many people would, if they, all they want to do is price shop, walk to like physically go places just for that? Well, those, some of these places are places you're already going. Yes. That's, and, there's, yeah. and there's signs up that say, get your flu shot for $10 or yep. whatever. So, I mean, if, if, if that's like the bulk of what they're talking about here, which it very well may be, right. then it's, I mean, it's still comparison shopping, but it's a little, kind of puts it in a different light. Well, so then as a shopping tool, the telephone dropped in popularity from 40, to 48% from 61%, which kind of seems like a major drop to me, but... Because I maybe still use a telephone. But anyways, Mm -hmm. email on the internet zoomed to 45% from 22%, which is probably not shocking to most. It's not, but we're still talking about September 2010. So what did people like all of a sudden go, the internet? You know, it's (laughs) it's not like this is, you know, 1990 or something. Right. It's weird to me that there, you know, it doubled like people in 2010 weren't thinking about email or the internet. I don't know. I don't know. It's just odd. Well, mobile has taken a huge leap since then. I mean, I I don't know that that really, I mean, I'm sure it factors into this somewhat. I'm sure it's not the primary driver. Mm -hmm. might be. But um, in the last two years, it's been pretty revolutionary in terms of adoption of mobile. So that probably plays into it to some extent. Probably true. So those were kind of my main takeaways from the article or just what I thought was really interesting. Well, the one other one that we talked about a little bit before was... Dr. Ray Fabius, chief medical officer for Thomson Reuters, said, um, according to the research, we're confused by the numbers because it doesn't say it specifically. It says a little less than two-thirds of the respondents said the information influenced their health care decision. So a little less than two-thirds of the people who said that they sought price information said that it influenced their health care decision. And he says, quote, in every age group, regardless of income, more than half of the respondents said that it influenced their choice of provider. To me, that's the biggest revelation. Um, so there's a little disconnect between less than two-thirds and a little more than half the respondents. What we don't know is what is the revelation to him. The way that comes off makes it seem like that's a really strong number. To me, it's a revelation that you're telling me that barely half of the people, yeah. when shopping for price, were influenced by the price. That's I would expect it to be higher. In my, in my mind. In a normal economic situation, if you're shopping for price, the price is going to be a, a bigger influence than not. So to me, it's shocking. It's, the revelation is that it's as low as it is. But I sense that he's saying the revelation is that it's high. But who knows? Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a confusing It is. Paragraph. So there's a lot of mixed messages in there, but still interesting. And, and as always, as we'll say with this and the next little tidbit... We're talking about people's opinions and surveys. Mm-hmm. So gigantor grain of salt. So when you ask somebody, did you shop for, you know, did you shop for prices for your health care? You could probably trust their answers. Not 100% because a lot of people will say yes, even though they didn't because they will think that they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. But when you ask them, did it influence your decision? Man, That's where it flip a coin, fishy. throw a dart. I mean, <laughs> they don't know whether it influenced their decision. In some cases, they may. Right. Some cases, they may say, yeah, I mean, I found a place that was incredibly priced, and I went there. But, you know, for all those people who say it's not, they probably are not tapping into the true decision-making that's going on in their brain because it's at an unconscious level. Mm-hmm. So hard to trust those numbers. Um, which brings us to the next story. Mm-hmm. 
from the Harvard Business Review. Business Review. Now, this is from uh, this was submitted to us by a friend of the show, Warren Johnson from Mid Michigan Health. Uh, I don't think we've ever had Warren on the show, but we should because we've quoted him many times and he's brought content to us. This is an article called Three Myths About What Customers Want. And in general, we thought it fits with our take on things like engagement and brand relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so here's the lead in. Most marketers think that the best way to hold on to customers is through engagement, quote unquote, interacting as much as possible with them and building relationships. It turns out that's rarely true. In a study involving more than 7,000 consumers, we found that companies often have dangerously wrong ideas about how best to engage with customers. Okay, so there's three myths we're going to go over. Mm -hmm. I already have an issue a little bit with what they say. The best way to hold on to customers is through engagement with you so far, interacting as much as with them, and building relationships. They've lumped those two things together as if those are both essential to engagement, and that's where I would disagree. Because we've always struggled with this idea that you need to build a relationship or that people want relationships with their brands. And it's such a weird... A relationship needs to have something in front of it, right? In this case, you want a good relationship, right? Because, I mean, it's implied that a relationship is a good thing. But there's such a thing as a bad relationship as well. I mean, a relationship is simply the feeling you have toward something or someone else. It's a connection at a deeper level. Right. So, but, right? right. Good or bad. Yes. Yeah, so, but the implication here, I mean, just relationship is, mm-hmm. is good without using the word good. Well, and well I, the, I would assume the goal of marketers is to create a good relationship. Yeah, it should be, but it just always makes it for this kind of this vague pie in the sky concept where yes. it's kind of it's like well what what the hell what defines relationship then i mean it, mm-hmm. i think i think it's intentional a lot of times that people don't 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 put another uh, you know define what kind of relationship they're after because then they can just talk about it in these vague terms these uh, these notions that are like grounded in you know in what so it's kind of annoying mm-hmm. well they might be meaning this different than how i'm taking it but interacting as much as possible with people isn't always the best thing well, that's one of the They talk too. about that. Okay. But, but to me, interacting with people and building relationships are two different things. Yeah. And yeah, they've lumped, lumped them, them together, together to be defining of engagement. And I think that's misplaced because then they go on to destroy relationships, which we've talked about too. And we talked about that book I read a couple of years ago, The Brand Bubble. It was all based on, you know, consumers say they want relationships with their brands and blah, blah. Oh, yeah. And my favorite thing is I don't want a relationship with my orange juice. I could give a crap. Right. <laughs> Um, that doesn't mean though that I wouldn't interact with my oranges. I probably wouldn't interact with my oranges either, but other things I would interact with, <laughs> I'd like to see I don't have a relationship with, with lifetime fitness, but I would interact with them in many different ways. Right. I don't think of it as a relationship with them. I don't, I would never have a relationship with a health system, but I could interact with them in positive ways to me. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's, you're really stretching the definition of engagement if you say it has to be based on a relationship. Yeah. Because the first thing they say is myth number one, most consumers want to have relationships with your brand. And then they say, actually, they don't. Only 23% of consumers in our study said they have relationships with the brand. And those 23% are probably confused. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, well, what does that mean? Right, that's right. And so then they say, you know, so what do you do with this information? First, understand which of your consumers are in the 23 and which are the 77. Who wants a relationship and who doesn't? 
then apply different expectations to those two groups. Stop bombarding, stop bombarding consumers who don't want a relationship with your attempts to build one through endless emails or complex loyalty programs. Those efforts will be low ROI. And see, that's where I think that's, that's really misleading and bad. So my example of this is um, I have no, and this will apply to the next one too, I have no relationship with Delta Airlines, right? In the, in the classic sense of the term relationship, I don't want to spend time with them. I don't like them. I don't hang out with them. I don't wear their garb. None of that, <laughs> right? But their loyalty program has got me locked in, right. locked in. So to say that a complex loyalty program won't work because people don't want relationships is, again, missing the point. Yeah, they're two different things. Two different things. Mm-hmm. You can Loyalty definitely definitely works. Loyalty programs definitely work. But it's not a relationship. And they're not predicated on a relationship, mm-hmm. right? I agree. So the next one is interactions. The myth, too, interactions build relationships. And then they say, no, they don't. Shared values build relationships. So, again, um, what they're saying here is that People, people who have relationships tend to say they have them because they have shared values. So, for example, pedigree dog food's shared value is a belief that every dog deserves a loving home. Southwest Airlines' shared value revolves around the democratization of air travel. Um, according to their survey of those who said they had a brand relationship, which, remember, was a low minority of 23%, 64% cited shared values as the primary reason. I guess I don't disagree with that. I do think shared values, if you have a relationship or the closest thing you're going to get with the brand, like I'd say, do I have a relationship with Apple? Do you, Adam? It's about as strong a, a connection as you're going to get with the brand, right. you and I, right? Right. Do so you want to call that a relationship? Fine. Um, I think there are shared values, innovation, uh, simplicity, uh, those kind of things. Sure. So I think that that's true. Um, but again, the idea that um, interactions don't matter is balls. That's all predicated on relationships. Mm-hmm. At least that's my opinion. Uh, and myth three, the more interactions, the better. They say wrong. There's no correlation between interactions with the customer and the likelihood that she or he or she will be sticky. I, I can't believe they say that in print. So help me understand... <clears throat> Most, they say most marketers behave as if there's a continuous linear relationship between the number of interactions and share of wallet. That's why, as the Wall Street Journal recently reported, you see well-established retailers like Neiman Marcus, Land's End, and Toys R Us sending customers over 300 emails annually. Now, I don't agree with that part of it. but It's tough because well, it depends on how many options you have other than the brand you're using. I mean, it can, a, good, a, good, yes. a good example is Apple. If I had a bad experience at the Apple store, that probably probably would not lead me to stop using Apple products because there's no good alternative. There is no good alternative. There's nothing that really, in my opinion, that really compares to their products. Um, yes, there are other phones you can get. There are other computers you get, could get. They provide you with an entirely different experience. There is no good alternative for me to Apple. I would still use their products even if I had a bad experience. Now, contrast that with the uh, uh, car dealer, the, the the auto repair place that I go to, I've had pretty much good experience with them up, you know, so far. I'll keep using them. Um, but if suddenly they like literally try to screw me over on something, I have plenty of other. I have plenty of options for car dealer, or other auto repair places I can go go to that are in my area. I would drop them 
like that and go somewhere else if I, if they tried to screw me over. Um, so the, there's it's, it's, so in my eyes, it's all about alternatives. If you've got alternatives, then you are, you could very easily lose somebody, um, you know, with one bad interaction. Sure. Mm-hmm. If you do, if, if there are no alternatives, um, then a bad interaction is not necessarily going to lose you somebody. Right. So I think there's kind of, there's a correlation there with the number of interactions, um, as well, because, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the more interactions you have, the more likely that one of them is going to be bad. Unless, unless you're just talking about interactions in terms of like email inundation, which is, which you know, is that their, could almost make me think more negatively. Cause I actually, that's for, their some, point. for some reason I subscribed a while back to Neiman Marcus's something or other. And I get so many emails from them right? to the point where it's like more than a lot of other clothing stores. I, yeah you know, have signed on to receive emails from, and it's like, serious. I mean, yeah. it's but see, kind again, of annoying. This is really semantics. So mm-hmm. interaction to me means <laughs> you did something. Right. right. That's different than touch points. Right. So if you're flooding somebody with 3,000 emails and they don't do anything, mm-hmm. yeah, there's no correlation to stickiness. But if you're answering every 10, to me, it's, it, it, it's hard for me to imagine that you responding, the more, I mean, the more you interact with the brand, I think it's safe to say the more likely you are to stick with them before you move on yeah. because you're, you're habitually used to them. Right. You're comfortable with it. Even if they screw up, you're more likely to give them another shot the more that you've interacted with them. That's different than the more shit you get from them, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so they've kind of confused the two, in yeah. my opinion. Well, getting I, an e- I don't look at... Now, maybe they're thinking that just simply delivering an email to somebody is an interaction. Maybe. I don't view that as an Me interaction. Yeah. Me marking your email as spam is an action that I took and I guess, yeah, it's an interaction I took with your brand, but I don't view that <laughs> a as a marketing one. interaction. Mm-hmm. Me clicking a link in your email yes. to a product that I'm interested in, now we've got an interaction. Right. Now I have taken action in favor of you, you know, as, as, as a reaction to you reaching out to me somehow. That's an interaction. Me deleting your crap or marking it as spam is not an interaction. Well, it's an interaction. It's just the wrong kind. Yeah, it's an, it's an action, but it's not me interacting with them. It's me deleting some crap that they had sent yeah, to me. I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- they end with some good stuff. It says, in reality, that linear relationship flattens much more quickly than most marketers think. Soon, helpful interactions become an overwhelming torrent. And see, and that's where, again, they're using the word completely wrong. Right. Helpful interactions. If What they mean is helpful content. Yeah. or helpful messages or touch points. Interaction, by definition, is you do something. Right, there's, yeah. an, inter- there's right. an engagement of some sort. So, so I think they're a little confused there. But they end with this, and I, and I really do agree with this. Instead of relentlessly demanding more consumer attention, treat the attention you do when is precious. Then ask yourself a simple question of any new marketing effort. Is this campaign slash email slash microsite slash print ad going to reduce the cognitive overload consumers feel as they shop my category? The answer is no or not sure. Go back to the drawing board. When it comes to interacting with your customers, more isn't better. Mm-hmm. And, and again, ah, I've got to change the word. Yes, more interaction is almost always better. Right. Right. More communication isn't always better. And I think that's where they're semantics. So if we can take some liberty and substitute communication in where they say interaction, then I think I'm on board with what they're saying. It's right. semantics, but it, it, those semantics are the problem with, with some of these mindsets and articles like this in general, because yeah, there's, it's, it's so foggy. It's not clear. Yeah. yeah. And these are, these are important 
things to have clarity around. Um, yeah. So it's it's not value. It's not beneficial to marketers to have this foggy crap put out there. Mm-hmm. From the Harvard Business Review. <laughs> well, I mean, I read plenty of great things from Harvard Business Review. Yeah. I've got a number of white papers that I've saved over the years, which are not cheap either. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's any a lot of these sources, you know, especially once you start reaching out and have any of these blog networks and stuff, which is, you know, they've been doing it for a few years, but it's still relatively new to them. You know, now they've kind of you kind of lose a little bit of control once you start having blogs where people can just you know spew. I'm sure these are still vetted to an extent, but you know those white papers are much more about serious research and yeah time and effort. This is more about here's some dude who's got some thoughts he wants to dump out quick and kind of like we now do. he did. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess yeah. I would say the more interaction, the better. Uh, fundamentally, yes. You just have to balance that with how often are you hitting people. Mm-hmm. You want to maximize interaction while you minimize the the crap yeah communication crap all right so on we go um how are we doing on time adam oh geez pretty much that dead all right i want to just leave people with a thought and then we'll we'll (laughs) save the last one to the next one um because i don't know how much we have to go on this but we've been talking about health and wellness as a way to build brands in in our hospitals and health systems for going on four or five years now um speak about it at conferences written about it it's in the joe public book Mm -hmm. the reason the number one reason why we believe that is because it is a way to connect with people in a relevant fashion to who they are, to Joe Public. So Joe Public doesn't give a crap about your Da Vinci robot, but they would care about health and wellness content, and they would care about it from you, the hospital health system, because right. you're an expert in that area. But, but I always speak to the, what are the downsides of health and wellness? And one of them is um, the fact that everybody can do it, Almost any provider organization can speak to this stuff, no matter their specialty, physician group, a hospital, a clinic, whatever. So there's a danger that it becomes so watered down and, and, and overused that it loses its power. And I'm starting to wonder if we're hitting that. Flavor got, of the month. What's that? Flavor of the month approach. Well, yeah. And, and the challenge is it's not, just, it's not just in our sector that you see it. And I talk a lot about how payers have been doing this for a while yeah. because they're incented because they save money. If you're healthier as a member of an insurance company, you're not using them. You're not using them, and you save money. Mm-hmm. So um, people kind of see that as a different than honest to goodness. This is for you, uh, helpful. But this hit me the other day when I was driving, and it was an ad. And there's two of them out there, radio ads. One is a guy says, you know, like what are what are 20 ways you can be healthier? And he like takes a deep breath. He's like. <gasps> Run, walk, blah, 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 blah. and he like spits out twenty <laughs> real fast, right? It's right. it's kind of funny. And then another one is a mom trying to get her kid to eat carrots, mm-hmm. and she locks him in the closet, <laughs> and it's kind of funny. And the kid's like, "Mom, it's dark in here." And then the announcer says, "Like you know, there are better ways to get your kids to eat healthier. Go to our website for twenty tips on healthy eating from iHeartRadio. Yeah. So if you know what iHeartRadio is, it's a basically an app." That right. you can get on your phone mm-hmm. that allows you to listen to major radio stations around the country. Mm-hmm. And I use it all the time because I can listen to local sports channel on it. Um, and I'm like, this radio app is promoting using health to promote itself. And it's, right. it's a, um, the message comes from the Ad Council and IHI, which stands for, I think, Innovative Health. 
something or, or something. Yes, yeah, something like that. Uh, so it's obviously some kind of nonprofit cause-related effort, right? And they're using iHeartRadio as a way to send a message. But when I heard that, I'm like, because at first it just says, you know, iHeartRadio bubble, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> when non, I mean, it is a healthcare cause, but to me, right. it was like a non-healthcare entity putting it out there. And at what point does it just be like everywhere you turn, yeah. you got 20 tips for healthy eating, right? Mm-hmm. We see more and more of that, yeah. And, and well, I won't even get into the counter information that comes out every freaking day. We've had great conversations about that. Like an article that was in the paper like two weeks ago, can exercise be bad for you? Oh, yeah. Right? And then what was the one just yesterday or two days ago. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to give up. Mm-hmm. It was something else. Like, some, oh, oh, taking aspirin, one aspirin a day can actually be worse for you than, take, than not taking it. And so we've been told for a long time that anybody with any kind of propensity for heart disease, so right. that puts me, because I'm just a man over 40, should be taking an, an aspirin a day. Mm-hmm. And now, no, no, no. You know, one study comes out and says, that may not be a good idea. And you're like, Screw it. I'm just going to smoke and drink and eat fatty foods and die 10 years younger because you can't keep up with all this. Yeah, it is tough. So anyway, that's not the main point. That's just my limiting rant. But are, is it time? I mean, the, what I would leave people with is it doesn't mean you should stop thinking about health and wellness, but if you're going to do it, you're going to have to be very creative about it. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to provide content in a unique way uh, because everybody else is out there trying to do this. And you should have more fodder than most given your health system or hospital yeah. uh, but you still have to couch it in a in a way that's going to be unique and compelling to people mm-hmm. relevant yep always relevant but now you got to be unique and compelling mm-hmm. otherwise it's just going to be you're going to be you and iHeartRadio and bob's you know auto body offering five tips on <laughs> how to keep your body safe yeah <laughs> all right so with that i guess we should sign off sorry a long last thought that's okay it was deep so for the arrogant healthcare marketing bastards this is chris bevelo jackie retackle and adam meyer we will talk to you next week